Welcome to Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. On the show, our team of industry experts interviews contingency fee attorneys. You will discover everything from how they got started to the secrets of their success and what's working in today's marketplace. And now, here's the Case Closed Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are doing another uh, session of the Case Closed Podcast with Jesus Moise. Jesus, how are you doing this morning? Very well. And yourself? I am doing great. So tell me your background. Where did you go to law school? And what did you do before you had your own firm? So I went to law school at St. Thomas University School of Law down in uh, Miami, Florida, uh, where we're based out of. After law school, I started off doing um, BP oil spill class action litigation um, at a firm called Farrell and Patel, uh, where we had clients all across the Gulf Coast from South Padre Island, Texas, all the way to Key West, Florida, um, and everything in between. And we were essentially representing businesses like hotels, gas stations, restaurants, you know, any any kind of business that suffered an economic loss due to the oil spill. And uh, do you currently do class actions? No, currently we are primarily a uh, insurance litigation law firm. So you do uh, slip and falls, auto accidents, truck accidents? Mostly property insurance disputes. We deal mostly with first party insurance disputes where it's the insured having a dispute with their own insurance company versus third party where like in the in a personal injury you know situation where it's someone suing someone else and their insurance you know kicking in if they have it all right um and what's your most famous case let's see so most famous case probably the one that uh that garnered me the most notorious would likely be the Delahose case which was a case versus a carrier that I am under confidentiality with, so I can't disclose too much you know, information. But our clients um, had a hurricane dispute uh, with their insurance company related to property damage that they suffered as a result of the storm at their property. Um, and that case was in litigation for about three years. And just before the eve of trial, uh, the insurance company filed a confession of judgment uh, for the full amount of the uh, of the damages being sought. Okay. And what is the largest case, without telling me the name, what's the largest dollar case you've had? Largest dollar case was probably, it was a commercial claim, also a hurricane claim, and I think it was in the neighborhood of about 7 to $8 million. Okay. What is the best advice you've ever gotten and who gave it to you? So the best advice, well, I'm assuming you mean legally applicable no. or just in general with life? In general, in general in life. So my temperament has always been one where, you know, I set a goal, I hit it, I move the line and push further, hit that, push further, hit that, push further. So I've always been on kind of, a focus on results and achieving results and results, 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 and never, you know, focused on the process itself and enjoying the process essentially. 
And I can tell you that I went off on my own in um, 2013. Uh, that was when I started my own law firm and I was a solo practitioner. I didn't even have, you know, a receptionist. And I always had this kind of, you know, uh, anxiety and just rush that I was always in because I felt that my, you know, colleagues were further along in their professional careers mm-hmm. than I was. So I always was, you know, comparing to outside, you know, third parties, like what my standing was and how much success I had, you know, achieved or not achieved. And I was honestly, you know, driving myself crazy because you're always, you know, trying to control results. And there's so many variables that happen in between that are outside of your control that, you know, you really can't control the outcome. You can only control what you do during the process. So as soon as I, I forgot who it was, but they gave me advice that, you know, essentially I was focusing on the wrong part of the equation and I needed to focus more on the micro and on the process and not on the end result and more enjoy the ride kind of thing. Once I started, you know, pivoting my thought process to that, it really completely changed, you know, my approach as an entrepreneur, as an attorney, you know, as a father, as a husband, all around, because tasks that seemed, you know, insurmountable were now, you know, not even on my mind because I was dealing with the more micro aspects of it and just kind of, you know, chugging along every day. And and you're more successful doing that, right? Yep. Yeah, because I'm not I'm not worried about, you know, am I where I want to be, you know, five years from now kind of thing. What's the greatest frustration in practicing law? The greatest frustration in practicing law, truthfully, is that it's kind of like a thankless job, I think, because, you know, it's kind of like the new dentist right? Everyone used to hate the dentist. They didn't want to go to the dentist. There was bad news every time you went to the dentist. I mean, I represent plaintiffs. So people come to us when they have a problem, right? And they're not coming to us willfully, happily, you know, cheerily. They're coming to us anxious, worried, you know, and sometimes in a state of despair. And we're engaging in litigation, which in and of itself is a time-consuming and elongated process. So the two things tend not to mesh very well with each other. So the most frustrating thing is you have a client that's been wronged by some other party, normally the defendant in the action, and normally in this situation, um, you know, an insurance company that has endless resources, and endless time, and they don't have to live in a damaged property. So they're fine. So they can drag out the litigation as long as they want. And the entire way your clients are chastising you, their attorney, thinking that you're not working on their case, you don't have their best interests at heart, you know, you're too busy for them, you're not paying attention, you're a bad attorney. So the frustrating part of it is where you're doing your best work for clients and they're not necessarily privy to it 
because the things that you do, especially in litigation, most of the time don't really involve your client unless you're responding to discovery or you're preparing them for a deposition. But they don't see the depositions that you take of the other side, of their experts, of their corporate representatives. You know, so while all of that is going on in the background, you then have to kind of deal with the emotional terroristic aspect of, you know, just being berated by your clients because they think that you are just not working on their cases and it's your fault that they haven't gotten paid and that their case hasn't resolved and they're living in a house or a property that is developing mold with their kids. So like it gets frustrating because you can't really defend yourself, even if you show them, you know, the the docket of the case. I mean, it's stuff that a lot of times they don't have the sophistication to understand. So you just kind of have to take it and you're kind of like a punching bag all around. You're a punching bag for antagonistic opposing counsels that, you know, believe they drink the Kool-Aid and they believe that there's no such thing as an intellectual battle. It has to be like an egotistical, you know, nasty battle. So you deal with that. You deal with, you know, problematic clients and then trying to comply with all of the rules and regulations of the Florida bar. So you don't you know, upset them. Right. And, yeah. and then there's the judges, too. And every judge has their own unique personality. So it's the frustration is, you know, the tightrope that you have to walk in order to keep all of the necessary parties appeased for your life to have a decent, you know, kind of uh level of being able to sleep at night <laughs> so hey Suits, uh with the new statute the one that was passed two months ago and the one that i guess was passed last week where they're going after the adjusters uh have you considered uh the following two theories to use rico and civil theft yes so i think that Ultimately, what's going to happen, truthfully, is, you know, I've been in the industry long enough, um, going on about 10 years now. So I do think that regulation was necessary because I do think that there were bad actors out there that were gaming the system. I don't think that that was the primary cause of, excuse me, the situation. I think that that, you know, was caused by just the frequency of the amount of natural disasters that the state has seen in a very short period of time as compared to prior to that, where we had a period of about 10 years or so with no storm activity making landfall. So I think that the storms put a lot of pressure on the carriers, which in turn put a lot of pressure on the reinsurance companies. The reinsurance companies had to raise rates on the carriers. The carriers, you know, don't want to deal with kind of like the brunt of that. So they're passing it on to, you know, the the consumers. They've always been trying to pass favorable legislation. I've been involved with this since 2019 when they passed the first iteration of the assignment of benefits statute. Um, And I knew that, you know, the writing was on the wall and they were going to continue to push, you know, the fraud narrative, the bad actors narrative, the litigation is out of control narrative. Um, And ultimately I thought that they were going to get what they wanted. So I was always kind of brainstorming since then and preparing, you know, for other things. If the insurance industry were to clean up its act now that they have, you know, the most favorable legislation 
literally that they could ever ask for because I can't, the only more favorable thing is people are not allowed to file claims. Um, so now that they have that legislation, you would expect them to do an about face and all of a sudden clean up their claims handling, treat people fairly, do the right thing, all that kind of stuff. I suspect that they're just going to double down on, well, now these people are even less armed so we can, you know, beat them up more. And I think that if they take that approach, you know, it is going to open the door to class action lawsuits against the insurance companies where you round up, you know, homeowners or property owners all affected by the same thing, whether it's a storm, whether it's cast iron pipes, whatever the case may be, they're all in the same position and you file one class action lawsuit against, you know, the insurance companies most likely related to insurance fraud on their part, which is where the RICO would kick in. All right. Well, let me ask you the following question. What do you think with all the claims that like the most recent care without naming names, I'm not probably supposed to do that. The <laughs> carriers that went under. Yes. Legitimate claims. You think FIG is just going to stroke the check after the six months and not spend all the litigation to defend him? I think so with FIGA, it's a little bit of a of a double-edged sword, right? Because once once you're dealing with a private carrier, obviously, you know, your claim to fees as an attorney is grandfathered in with that carrier. But once it shifts over to FIGA, they have no obligation to honor your attorney's fees and costs. So now it puts the plaintiffs in a position where, you know, the attorney is, if their if their contract says this, has now switched to a contingency percentage. And depending on the size of the claim, it may be feasible to continue litigating it and try it. But if the claim is not, you know, like if you have a $20,000 claim that went to FIGA, even if you have it on a 40%, you know, retainer agreement, if you're talking, you know, taking it to trial, your max recovery is $8,000. You know, if you have to hire an expert and pay for a double transcript and the filing fee, you know, and a couple of court reporters, that eight grand is, is gone. You know, that doesn't even include, so what, you know. Give you a hypothetical. Uh, $300,000 claim, house gets sold. So the claim plus the personal is probably 190. Three separate claims on the prior carrier over a two-year period that the original carrier didn't pay. Okay. In that scenario, would you think Feige is going to try and settle because it's almost almost 200 grand? Nope. No chance. And if they do, I mean, when FIGA is attempting to settle cases, you know, it's the state at the end of the day picking up the bill based off of the fund that they created by taxing every premium for every policy sold in the state a certain percentage to have this as a backup plan in case carriers went under. So they're going to handle and administer that money far more responsibly and, you know, conservatively than private insurance ca- carriers typically do. So How they, much do they you think it costs to try that case on the defense side. Oof. On the defense side, probably somewhere between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars, I would say. So when they settled between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars to get rid of the exposure? That's what I was gonna say. If they do put an offer on it, I mean you're looking at probably 30% of of what you what the plaintiff was trying to recover potentially just as like a cost of defense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, 
Jesus is very bright. Uh, I was a defense attorney for many years. He would be an intellectual challenge, which means he's the kind of attorney you need to hire if you need an attorney in Miami-Dade or Palm Beach County. Hire Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of this Case Closed podcast. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for attending. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast is led by industry experts who unlock insights from the nation's top contingency fee attorneys. Each week on the show, the guests share how they got started, secrets of their success, and what's working in today's marketplace. Guests on the Case Closed Podcast include successful contingency fee attorneys that will share their secrets so you can close more cases. Tune in each week for a dynamic conversation about winning legal strategies that will grow your business. 